that, you know, one of the big sources of confusion is that most of the nutrition messages that go out are targeted to the two thirds of Americans that are overweight or obese. And athletes who are health conscious and nutrition hungry, you know, listen to all these messages that aren't meant for them, like carbs are evil. And it's like, no, carbohydrate is really important for fueling your muscles. Mm -hmm. This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre, skincare for athletes. Whether you're in the gym, on the mats, on the road, or in the pool, we protect your skin so you're more comfortable in your own body. To learn more, go to solpre.com. Welcome to Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. Today, my guest is a very special author. Um, she has her master's in nutrition. Uh, she works with all athletes of all abilities, anywhere from young amateurs all the way to Olympians. She's a fellow at the American College of Sports Medicine and the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. Currently, she has a private practice in nutrition in the Boston area, so feel free to get in touch with her. Um, and of course, she is the author of Nancy Clark's Sports Nutrition Guidebook. Welcome to the show, Nancy Clark. Thanks for inviting me to be on the show. Absolutely. I mean, I, I always love talking to authors because anytime somebody's put a book together, they've definitely you know, done the work, know what they're talking about. But specifically you, as it, so anybody who hasn't ever picked up this book before, and I hadn't before, I had the opportunity to talk with Nancy. This is a very, I'll say thick, but very almost exhaustive uh, guidebook. Like it, it, if you have a question, it seems like it's in there. But you don't have to read the whole book. No, just, no. Just go to the index and look up pre-exercise food. Right. Or weight loss or vitamins so, so that it, it's a resource. Um, but a lot of people do read it. And actually, you know, I got a, an email from a mom with a high school kid who said, my high school son read your book from cover to cover. And she <laughs> Yeah, well, it's like, that's, as I was, I did go through it cover to cover, um, and when I'm going through things, I'm not absolutely every word, but I do spend a fair amount of time, several hours with the books I go through, and it was definitely like, you can certainly sit down with it, um, but then, for me, I know how I can come back and just jump to this chapter and not have to, like, go back through from page one to 250 or whatever, so... Um, I'm kind of curious. I, I, it seemed like I saw a few themes as I went through it, but I'm kind of curious uh, of your opinion of, I guess, yourself. Do you have an overarching like philosophy or guiding principle you kind of stick to when you are working with people? Um, my philosophy is, is that food is fuel, mm -hmm. but food is also health. And it's one of life's pleasures, or it should be one of life's pleasures. Yeah. So, so the trick is, is how do you find healthy, yummy sports foods that help you perform at your best and that you're willing to eat for the rest of your life? Mm -hmm. So sustainability is, is a big issue. And there's not a one program that fits everybody because mm -hmm. we're all very individual. And um, I try to listen to my clients and figure out what works for them. Yeah. Is it a matter of like taste that makes us vary so much in terms of what is going to work best for us? Or do you find that like a different mix of macros is more effective for this person versus that person? It, it, does that come into play? Food is so complex. I mean, just look at caffeine. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very caffeine sensitive. I have a little teaspoon of coffee in the morning and that sets me up for the day. Um, my husband's drink coffee before it goes to bed. Mm. Uh, you know, some people are very alcohol sensitive and, you know, one sip and they're, that's plenty for them and others mm. just, you know, hit the six pack and are back for more. So we're all very unique. And, and I, I think there's a lot of, um, just biological differences, even though our bodies look the same with one head and, you know, two hands and two feet, and, mm -hmm. but inside it's very, very different. And that's where it's important to listen to each person and, and figure out, you know, what their food preferences are. And certainly mm -hmm. some people, you know, for them, a ve vegetarian diet is like preferred because the taste of meat is like yuck. And yeah. other meat eaters go, oh, 
you know, I, I just have to have my meat every day. So is that a biological difference? Is it a cultural difference? I don't know, but it's just a difference that can be honored. Yeah, right. And yeah, I understand that. It, it seems like um, you, you talk a lot about things. As I was going through the book, it, it seemed like a lot of the themes and like ideas you present really seem to be almost common sense to me, although they're not common sense, which I'm sure you know through your practice. So I'm kind of curious, like, and this is, again, I don't, I don't mean this offensively, but it just seems like, okay, these, she, there wasn't anything to me that seemed like crazy groundbreaking. So in your opinion, should these things that you're trying to teach be common sense by now? They should be common sense. I mean, eating used to be very simple. You ate breakfast, lunch, dinner, <laughs> uh-huh. and you had enjoyed food, and now people are making it so complex, and is it, um, they're looking, I mean, at so many different aspects, be it meal timing, or macros, mm-hmm. or ultra-processed, organic, um, fattening, good food, bad food, clean food, dirty food. I mean, it, it, it's just way too complex. So in my book, I try really hard to make it common sense and simple because it doesn't have to be as complex as it, as it is. And I think a lot of that is due to marketing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, as one athlete very summed it up very nicely, he said, you know, I really like to, to buy this recovery product because I know then it's the exact three to one ratio of carbs to protein mm-hmm. and you know if he's eating food he has no idea what the three to one ratio is well it doesn't have to be an exact three to one ratio um you know if you have cereal with milk mm-hmm. and you just need you know carbs and protein combined together um so i try to to take the complexities and make them simple so that people know what to do mm-hmm. and um i i think we've the the food industry and the advertisements have have made it far more complex than it needs to be yeah i know so um as we were you know kind of talking before we got going i you know i I have a couple companies so i'm into marketing and i I see there's this kind of philosophy with marketers it's like once you learn like marketing is all about psychology and, and trying to work with people's psychology and it's like once you kind of learn the the tricks of the trade and, and you know, kind of sh- like like figure out how to sell things to people. There's kind of two paths you can go down: the, the light side and the dark side. And it seems like there are some marketers who use their like powers for evil, just to sell something that isn't necessarily good for people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And the food business is a business, Um, not necessarily a health business, though they try to claim that it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so it just gets confusing. And and so that's the role of a registered dietitian. Uh, Registered dietitians know food, I mean, and, and know how food impacts health and how food impacts performance. And so for people that are confused, it's really worth it for them to seek out, um, not a nutritionist, because anybody can call themselves a nutritionist. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, I love to eat, I'm a nutritionist. Whereas you want a registered dietitian who has four years of undergraduate work, a year of master's work, a year of internship, and, um, and, and knows food mm-hmm. uh, more so than other people. I think there's a lot of kind of uh, the idea that I can do it myself nowadays, especially with the internet and there being so much information available. But mm-hmm. I think it also leads to, I, and I think you touch on this in the book, where where there's this confusion because there's so many ideas about eat this, don't eat that, don't eat this, eat that. Do you do anything to kind of combat combat that mentality or or do you just wait till people are tired and ready for your help well I, I mean that's one of the reasons that i wrote my book is to give people information mm-hmm. i and i write a monthly nutrition article that goes to a lot of different health mm-hmm. and fitness publications and and really looking at um current topics and confusion like the these faux meats you know the impossible mm-hmm. burger 
the better beyond burger and and it's like what's their role in in our in our diet um so i i try hard to educate people uh, both the general public as well as the one-on-one when i'm counseling people mm-hmm. um the, you know one of the big sources of confusion is that most of the nutrition messages that go out are targeted to the two-thirds of Americans that are overweight or obese. And athletes who are health conscious and nutrition hungry, you know, listen to all these messages that aren't meant for them, like carbs are evil. And it's like, no, carbohydrate is really important for fueling your muscles. Mm -hmm. And um, just educating people that the physiology of a active person's body is very different from the physiology of a of um, someone who's um, you know unfit and living in a large body. Mm-hmm. I think I think and this is something else, like I said at the beginning. Your book is fairly exhaustive, so I think you touch on this as well. Um, where I think people miss two. Whether we're not just feeding your body, you're feeding your brain, and it's like when you starve your brain of certain things then you're not going to like even if say supposedly zero carbs was the perfect fuel for your body but then your brain is suffering like you're you're not at maximum capacity because your brain's not functioning you know well what what makes you think that zero carbs is the perfect fuel for your body? i'm not i'm not saying that it is i'm just saying <laughs> yeah. just just in a in a bizarre scenario suppose yeah. that it is yeah but if you're start like even if you figure out this magic formula for your body, if you're starving your brain, mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I saw kind of in the beginning you talk about, and you, you kind of uh, mentioned this with the uh, cereal for breakfast. Uh, I think you also mentioned like possibly getting fruit juice. And I think, I think it was in the context of picking those things kind of over, say, Let's get a croissant or a pastry or something for breakfast. Um, some sometimes I've seen people suggest like fruit juice is evil because it doesn't have the fiber. Um, it, it, are those suggestions a, a matter of this is better than the alternative, or are they like a, like a staple for you? Well, again, we have to look at who the audience is. Mm-hmm. For the average overfat, underfit person. Do they need to drink juice? No, they want to eat the whole fruit because Mm -hmm. it does have more fiber in it. And it's eating and chewing, which is more satiating than just drinking something. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I was working with a high school student who was playing soccer and couldn't get enough calories into his body Mm -hmm. and was drinking a ton of water. So you change water into orange juice. Mm -hmm. And you get carbohydrates to fuel your muscles. You get water to replace your hydration. You get one glass, eight ounces of orange juice gives you all the vitamin C that you need for the day. Mm -hmm. And so if he's drinking a whole bunch of it and um, by drinking more water and by drinking more juice and different colors of juice, because each color has its own health protective properties. So Mm -hmm. there's red cranberry juice, there's orange orange juice, there's yellow pineapple juice, there's blue blueberry juice, there are green juices. And all of these have nutritional value that's anti-inflammatory. So, you know, athletes that are training hard, they need calories, they need carbohydrates, they need fluids, they need quick and easy nutrition, and they need anti-inflammatory properties. So, you know, what I find is that so many of my athletes you know, oh, juice is bad. And instead of having juice, for, they stop drinking orange juice for breakfast, but it's not as though they eat an orange instead. Mm-hmm. They just have no fruit. So again, we have to look at the whole picture mm-hmm. and it's a one-on-one conversation. Um, right. It's not right, wrong, you know, my way or the highway. It's, it's really a conversation looking at what's going on. But the number of people that have stopped drinking juice haven't started eating more fruit. Right. See, it, 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 you it make an excellent point where it's like, even in my own head, even as I'm asking these questions, I'm like, Nancy, just give me the answer. Like, <laughs> you know, it's that, it's that, I think it's almost conditioned in us where it's like, we want one answer, like this is the answer for everybody, which 
I know from experience in, in other disciplines, not nutritionally, that it's like, like people, if people ask me about skincare, they'll say, like, I got a question this morning about my bar soap. Can we use it on, can I use it on my hair? And I was like, well, you can, but it depends. Like, there's a lot of factors involved. Mm-hmm. And I think that it depends um, bugs the heck out of people. And they're like, I don't want to know all the information. Just give me the answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so, so thinking about that, I kind of wonder um, with all your one-on-one clients, how much is like working on nutrition or coaching nutrition, how much is it a game of mental strategies versus education? It's very much a game of mental strategies. Most of the people that come to me, they say, oh, I know what I should eat. Mm-hmm. I just don't do it. Or they might say, oh, I don't know what to eat anymore. And they're just so confused. Um, but I see a pretty well-educated clientele. I mean, mm-hmm. athletes get better grades than non-athletes in high school and college. And, mm-hmm. and they tend to be pretty smart. And they're nutrition savvy. But they're just confused. Um, so <laughs> what was your question? <laughs> uh, so how much is it a game of like oh, okay, mental okay. strategies versus yeah. educating? So I look a lot at cost benefit. I mean, people make a nutrition change, a food change when there's a benefit. Um, but there's also a cost. Like mm-hmm. if you start eating um, trail mix for a snack, you aren't eating yummy chocolate chip cookies. And so there's a cost. There's a benefit. And, and how do you balance that out so that the benefits are higher than the costs? Um, if people go, let's say, if they knock out the carbs, the benefit is they aren't binge eating anymore. But mm-hmm. the cost is they aren't fueling their muscles. They're denied. They're deprived. They're restricted. Um, so it, it's really addressing the costs and the benefits and coming up with a balance that is sustainable for the rest of a person's life. So this going on and off diets is really health harmful. Mm-hmm. And it's better for even an obese person to stay obese than to yo-yo up and down and up and down. Um, so we, we want sustainability and steadiness. Mm-hmm. Um, I, along those lines, so... I spoke with uh, Matt Fitzgerald, and I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a, a sports writer, typically in endurance sports. I spoke with him a few weeks ago, and he has a book called Diet Colts, although he's not a registered dietitian. I love that term, mm-hmm. diet colts. Um, I can't remember what how you refer to them, fad diets. Um, I think diet colts almost gets to the mentality a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I love that. Um, is there a common thread or, or common strategy you have in trying to get people off of that, that diet yo-yo or the diet cult mentality? Well, if they are yo-yoing and they end up in my office, clearly what they do is not working for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we find a plan that works. Right. <laughs> and diets don't work. I mean, 80% of fourth grade girls have been on a weight reduction diet. Mm-hmm. And we know that kids in middle school, when they move into high school, if they've been on a diet, they end up heavier. And we know that high school kids that have dieted, when they go to college, they end up heavier. And these college kids, I mean, it just perpetuates a really bad sci- um, cycle <clears throat> of being denied and deprived and then blowing it and cheating mm-hmm. and the guilt and, and the uh, deprivation um, so they're, they're really, uh, diets are really unhealthy. And, and so my job or the job of a registered dietitian is to teach people how to eat, how to eat appropriately, how to eat healthfully, how to eat enjoyably, how to eat without guilt, mm-hmm. and how to eat in a sustainable fashion that fits their lifestyle and their food budget. Um, again, economics plays into this a lot. I mean, can a, a college athlete on a you know, who's working two jobs to put himself through school, you know, eat, uh, you know, invest in lots of, you know, fruit smoothies with lots of, you know, berries and exotic fruits and vegetables that Mm -hmm. are very costly. And plus, take time to prepare. I mean, you have to really look at the whole picture. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, for anybody who does pick up the book on, I, you may do it elsewhere, but I made a note on page 103. You actually do a, a cost breakdown of like cost per hundred calories for various foods in that section, which I love. I do that sometimes myself. Um, yeah, here it is. Everybody can see that. <laughs> they chart at the bottom. Um, does that so that does that come in to play pretty often with your clients where you're trying to figure out how do we get the best nutrition for like most bang for your buck as far as making sure you are fueled? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was doing some work with some minor league baseball players and they don't get a paid a heck of a lot of money. Right. And, and a lot of, you know, lower level athletes that aren't pros, they're just struggling mm-hmm. to make ends meet until they make it big time. And peanut butter. I mean, peanut butter is one of the best sports foods around. Um, so letting them know that peanut butter is anti-inflammatory. It's got healthy fat in it. That it's inexpensive. It doesn't spoil. You can live on peanut butter and banana sandwiches. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it can be a positive sports food. So, you know, rice and beans, another great sports food. You know, protein-carb combination. And it's inexpensive and it's tasty and it's filling and it, fuels the muscles and it builds and repairs the muscles mm-hmm. so um for certain athletes budget makes a difference um the majority of my clients are more upper income and they eat whatever they want be it salmon three times a week or yeah. or you know buying all sorts of expensive protein powders or whatever so yeah. it, it just it just ranges but it's important to know that all people, regardless of their income, can eat well and have a great sports diet that will enhance their performance. Yeah, I, I, uh, I kind of eschew the thought. You know, I think you often get the idea about um, eating healthy is expensive, like perpetuated. And it's to me, it's like there's definitely I think I think there are snack foods and things down the middle aisles, I guess I'll back up a little bit. My mother's strategy for going to the grocery store, she says, if you don't want to buy any junk food, stay on the outside. Mm-hmm. It's all like all the produce, all the normal whole foods are on the outside mm-hmm. and all the processed stuff is in the aisles in the center of the store. Um, but so some of that stuff is subsidized, but it seems like you can pick up like, you know, long grain brown rice. You can pick up, you know, stuff like that that's got plenty of nutrition to it versus let's go buy a bag of chips <laughs> for the same price. But there are different aisles in the grocery store, the yeah, yeah, yeah. aisle, the whole wheat flour aisle, the canned tuna fish aisle. Um, I mean, even canned fruits mm-hmm. have the similar nutritional value fruits and vegetables, even when they're canned, they have nutrient profile that's similar to the fresh. Because if you think about it, fresh from California, I mean, most of the produce that we eat here in New England is grown in California. It takes a week for it to get cross country. You buy it, and then it sits in your refrigerator for two or three days. That's not um, fresh. It's unprocessed, but it's not fresh. So, you know, frozen vegetables are a great option, and they're less expensive, and they can be more, you know, a better nutritional bargain than buying the fresh so again it's it's helping people look at the whole picture mm-hmm. and um not just the latest tweet or, or headline yeah I, I can't remember whether you addressed this but i know sometimes people will talk about if you um if or when you cook food it loses nutritional value do you know anything about that well if you have a piece of broccoli that's cooked like a half a stock of broccoli that's cooked mm-hmm. gives you all the vitamin C that you need for the day. Now it's lost maybe thirty percent of its vitamin C through cooking, mm-hmm. but it still gives you all that you need. And most people just don't have one little stock of broccoli; they eat two or three of them. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of irrelevant in many okay. cases. And people complain, "Oh, these college vegetables are cooked to death, and so they don't bother bother eating them." Mm-hmm. Well, they haven't lost, they might have lost some of the nutrients, but they haven't lost all of them. And anything's better than nothing. And if you right. just eat a big pile of it, then it, it doesn't matter. Just yeah. the quantity of eating a lot of it, you can get more than you need. Yeah, that's just, it's just another one of those like diet cult mentalities. There's just a lot of things rattling around in my brain. And I'm like, well, I have you, Nancy. I need to like <laughs> try to get all of these things out. Um, 
Uh, I want to back up a little bit. You were talking about um, fourth grade girls and dieting. Um, where do you have an idea or where do you think that comes from that the, this idea that fourth grade girls even need to be dieting? Well, we live in a weight obsessed culture, mm-hmm. you know, and um, it's just insidious and they get it from moms. They get it from media. They get it from magazine ads. I mean, you, oh, you have to color your hair because it's not good enough. You need to wear makeup because you aren't pretty enough. I mean, even men now are getting bombarded. I saw a thing for coloring for beard. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, you don't want to have a gray beard. I mean, that means you're like, whoa, not good enough. And, yeah. and so there are all these messages that you're not good enough unless you have this perfect body. And it starts at a very early age. And it's really important that we have. Um, other messages that can counter those. Mm-hmm. It's like you were born with a perfect body and your body is still is perfect. I mean, people say, oh, I want to look like a runner. My body doesn't look like a runner. Well, what does a runner look like? Yeah, you know, what does a dog look like? Mm-hmm. And if you talk about dogs, what does a dog look like? Well, are you talking about a St. Bernard, a Greyhound, Poodle, mm-hmm. a Labrador, a Beagle, a Chihuahua? I mean, in the dog kingdom, bodies come in different sizes and shapes. Mm-hmm. And that St. Bernard doesn't want to be a greyhound. Mm-hmm. And even if you did make the St. Bernard into a greyhound, would it be a happy St. Bernard? No, it'd be miserable. <laughs> you know, right. It'd just be a mean, miserable St. Bernard. And so dogs know to be proud of their genetics and their heritage, and they just wag their tails and walk around with their heads very high. Mm-hmm. People, if if you're a St. Bernard and not a Greyhound, there's shame, embarrassment, guilt, and it's just a very unhealthy culture. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's yeah, just you, insidious. Yeah. You talk about it a little bit in the book, too, talking about body dysmorphia disorder. Um, I think you talk <laughs> about it kind of being on the rise. Um, is, do you think that's – there's like – it seems like there's an increased pressure – because of social media and the kind of constant connection that we have now. Um, I, you know, I'm old enough that I didn't have social media like in elementary school, but I know that elementary middle schoolers, definitely high schoolers, it's like, say, say you're bullied at school, you go home, you get away from it, but now there's social media and there's, there's this opportunity for it to continue almost 24 seven unabated. Do you think, it's it's largely because of social media that it's on the rise, or are there other other factors at play for you? I, I think that body image problems were around long before social media, mm-hmm. and it sort of might have started back in the nineteen fifties when Weight Watchers first started. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, your body's not good enough; you'd better lose weight, um, and it's just perpetuated so tv didn't do much good (laughs) and now social media certainly isn't helping but that said there are social media sites that are believe in health at every size and loving your body the way that it is it all depends on who you listen to and people seem to glom on to the negative stuff Mm -hmm. and um you know that's what gets integrated into their brains yeah i think um i think we have a tendency to to gravitate towards and hold on to the negative things more than the positive things which is why like it's easier to sell sensational negative headlines than it is like selling happy stories yeah so um but i there there is a kind of body positivity movement um, out there right now, especially for, um, I'll say, overweight people, because there's been so much of that, you know, idea of you need to lose weight, you're not good enough. How do you balance this? This Because I, I like your philosophy of, of thinking about, like, these are my genetics, this is who I am, and trying to optimize me. How do you balance that idea with also trying to make sure the the person is like existing in a healthy body? They're not 
too overweight or, or whatever the case may be with them. Yeah, in, in my sports nutrition guidebook, I have a very strong section on weight, body image, um, how to lose weight and have energy to exercise. And it really, I mean, you talk in generalities, but it's a one-on-one conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so much of it depends on the person's history. It depends on their genetics. Mm-hmm. And I have so many people that come to me that want to look like a runner, their vision of a runner, which is a greyhound, and they are St. Bernard's. And that's what their genetics is. Mm-hmm. And and just work a lot with you don't have to like your current body, but you can tolerate it. You can be grateful for it. Mm-hmm. You can appreciate it. And um, you can take care of it. And looking a lot at quality of life and the cost of having a runner's body Mm-hmm. is extremely high um, for some women it costs them their menstrual cycle mm-hmm. under eating and over exercising and there's not enough fuel to take care of both normal body functions and run then the body stops menstruating and and that has negative health issues but it's it's not just in terms of um, you know bone health because amenorrhea female athletes are more much more prone to stress fractures but it's their whole mind an underfed mind is not a happy mind. Mm. Um, so again, we have to get away from dieting and eat appropriately. And there, there's interesting research coming out now looking at ultra processed foods. Mm-hmm. And there was just a study where they had a group of people in living in a metabolic ward in a hospital where everything was totally controlled, their exercise was controlled, their food was controlled. And they gave them abundant food of either ultra processed foods or all natural foods. And the Mm -hmm. the diets were, you know, designed to be as similar as they could be, but Mm -hmm. instead of fresh peaches, you know, canned peaches, instead of homemade cookies, you know, commercially made cookies or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and they find that those over a course of two weeks, those that ate the ultra processed food um, gained two pounds. And those that ate the all natural foods lost two pounds. And just, um, again, we need to get people back to eating, eating more natural foods closer to the earth um, and being responsible. Mm-hmm. Setting aside time. I mean, meals these days are optional. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and it used to be way back when, when people were, you know, strong and hearty, they would have breakfast, big breakfast, and work on the farm and come in for their main meal in the middle of the day and then have a supper at night. And then the war came along and women went to work and the main meal moved to the end of the day. And that's where convenience foods came in. Mm-hmm. And then now kids sports comes along. And mm-hmm. the practice is in the middle of dinner and the gymnastics goes all the way from five in the afternoon till eight o'clock at night. And family meals have totally eroded. And there's a lot that gets lost with that. Mm-hmm. So there are many um changes in our society and our lifestyle that are not conducive to optimal health or athletic performance. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, should we rethink our culture? Like, how do we, how do we rebalance that? <laughs> Good question. It's, all right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, it's, it's an easy, like, quip, like, yeah. Nancy, just change our entire culture. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's called be responsible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Food is not optional. Sleep is not optional. Mm-hmm. You know, they need to be priority in terms of self-care and making sure that you carry with you, you know, a baggie of nuts so mm-hmm. you don't get sidetracked into, um, you know, the convenience store. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's setting aside time to eat. And she says, oh, you know, I just worked through lunch. Well, you can still work through lunch, but just have your sandwich that you brought with you so that you can still eat while you're working. Um, so, again, it's, it's, converse, it's problem solving. Mm-hmm. It's how to get people to eat closer to the earth, 
you know, more natural foods on a regular schedule, eat during the daylight hours, which is when the circadian rhythms are designed to be fed, and have an appropriate amount of exercise because the body likes to move, mm -hmm. and um, enjoy the benefits of that. And when people eat well, they feel so much better. Mm -hmm. And when you feel better, you also feel better about yourself and you tend to perform better. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's a process. But, you know, that's where my sports nutrition guidebook, as you say, I try to make it simple. Mm -hmm. um, like this is what you can do. These are the options and take away the complexities of it. Mm -hmm. This is, this is actually something that uh, here in my house we're going through at the moment, trying to like eat more at home. And we, you know, we have the, we're in the fortunate position where it's like we're able, we're, we're able to eat out fairly often. And we did, but I also noticed just almost like a degradation of kind of my daily energy and um, how I felt. Cause I have a fairly high, athletic workload i you know it's not as high as it used to be but i'll still work out 10 to 12 hours a week so you know putting a fairly high demand on myself i did see um i can't remember who i so i can't attribute this to a particular person but some kind of health blogger mentioned this philosophy about you can eat whatever you want but you have to make it i want to know if you have any thoughts on that well it's it's Ideally, yes. Uh, realistically, think again. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, there's not a good food or a bad food. Mm -hmm. There's a balanced diet and an unbalanced diet. Does mm -hmm. every single food that you eat need to be homemade? No. But is the trend toward primarily homemade? Sure. And you can do that, you know, pretty easily once you get organized. So it, it's, you know, food is really, it's a management issue more than a food issue. And athletes tend to be good at managing. I mean, they manage to train every day. Like I say, you manage to get in your 12 to 14 hours a week. That's a management issue. Mm -hmm. um, and so with food, the same thing, food is a management issue. How do you manage to have the right food in the right place at the right time? Mm -hmm. You know, the majority of the times. And I look for a diet that's, you know, 85 to 90% quality foods, 10 to 15%, whatever, because you don't have to have this perfect diet to have an excellent diet. Mm -hmm. And this whole clean eating movement is like demonizing a cookie or <laughs> cupcake and like uh -huh. is it really bad to eat a birthday cupcake and, you know i think birthday cake is very healthy actually um and people aren't eating out of the same pot there's something really nice when everybody eats out of the same pot well mm -hmm. first you have to cook that pot <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. um and that's a planning issue planning yeah. to food shop planning time to prepare the meals planning time to sit down together and enjoy the meals. Mm -hmm. I think you address this a, a fair number of times in the book. It seemed like as I went through, you often mentioned people saying, um, I'm too busy to, to yeah. do whatever it is. Um, it, personally, it seems like when we say I'm too busy, it's a matter of I'm not prioritizing whatever it is you're asking me to do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what is there like, what do you think is going on with people when they say I'm too busy or with your clients when they give that excuse to you? Is there any common thread that, that or reason that they're saying I'm too busy? Yeah, because it's not a priority. Mm -hmm. And if you're too busy to eat, then you save calories and then you'll lose weight and then you'll be thinner and then you'll be a better athlete. You know, it goes <laughs> down that rabbit hole. Uh -huh. And it's like, no, if you skip a meal, you'll be low on energy, you'll get too hungry, and then you'll binge eat on the whole bag of Oreos um, and end up gaining weight. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, too busy is a, is a story. And if, if it's amazing the number of people that never forget to exercise, but they always forget to eat. Say, like, oh, I forgot to eat. Well, did you forget to train 
or they've always got time to train, but they don't have time to eat. It's mm-hmm. like, no, you can train five minutes less and then find time to eat. Um, so it, it's, it's looking at people's stories and excuses and problem solving with them. I mean, so mm-hmm. what, what I do is problem solving, you know, how can you lose weight and have energy to exercise? How can you perform better? You know, how can you manage to have the right food in the right place at the right time? And we just sort of work through this. And so people leave with, this is what I can do. And they feel empowered. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the goal of my sports nutrition guidebook, to empower people to better manage the American food supply. Mm-hmm. So when you started out, when you, you know, were going back, as you're getting your degree before you really kind of get into your whole career, how did you anticipate being essentially a, a psychologist for people? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> it was not on my radar screen. Yeah, it, it, but it seems like often when we get into these kind of like sticky, I'll call, I'll call them like sticky cultural issues like eating, where it's like we all need to eat, but then there becomes all this confusion that it ends up becoming more of a psychological job, like you mentioned earlier, like mm-hmm. trying to get people to get their mental strategies together versus, uh, you know, eat carrots instead of, uh, you know, a cookie for your snack or, or whatever it is. It, it's this like figuring out the weird psychology that's going on. that's gotten people into this like odd hole that they have to get out of. Well, it, it comes down to cost benefit. Mm-hmm. When people eat better, they feel better. And that's a real nice benefit. And they need to eat yummy, healthy, nutrient-rich foods that they enjoy. And like for me, that's peanut butter. I mean, I live on peanut butter, peanut butter and banana, peanut butter mm-hmm. sandwiches, peanut butter in my oatmeal. It's yummy. It's healthy. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy eating it. So it is a food of choice, not a duty. And mm-hmm. other people love hummus. Or they love, you know, rice and beans or whatever. So that it's 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 really finding, you know, a a um, a menu of yummy healthy foods that you totally enjoy that make you feel good, and then mm. you want to eat them. It's not a big deal. Yeah. And and the recipes in my sports nutrition guidebook are based on yummy healthy family foods that you enjoy eating. Yeah, and that's I I loved that once I got to the end because like I said I went cover to cover I didn't jump I didn't jump around I got to the end and saw the the recipes and I was like thank you Nancy because like <laughs> it's so easy to say okay you know eat this kind of food or that kind of food but it's it makes it I think it, it bridges the gap a little bit to go okay here's you know the vast majority of the guidebook where it says these are your strategies and then without the recipes people will go well, now what mm-hmm. but then that the strat- the the recipes can help bridge the gap between okay let's start here and you know employ these with you know Nancy strategies and then let's start branching out into our own recipes so i i just as a consumer i i appreciate that you included recipes at the end well make sure you eat the banana bread <laughs> <laughs> that should not be a problem yeah, it's it's really popular. It goes great with peanut butter too. <laughs> I I'm a peanut butter fiend, so that both of those things absolutely not a problem. Um, I do want to ask you a little bit about kind of specific diets now before we before we go. Um, you do talk talk about a little bit about vegetarian athletes, um, and I'm sure you've heard people joke about like vegetarians are pale and sickly and these kind of things. I don't think that's necessarily the case. And I think you make the case for vegetarian athletes being a perfectly legitimate diet for the vegetarians that aren't like that do kind of play into that stereotype. Where are they going wrong? Do you think? Well, there's, there are vegetarians that live on potato chips and, um, Skittles, mm-hmm. and there are vegetarians that live on hummus and stir-fried tofu and, you know, lots of vegetables or whatever. So there are vegetarians that are responsible. 
and truly eating a balanced diet and those that are just living on apples or bananas. I mean, I've seen many a high school kid who claims to be vegetarian and they've just knocked out the meat so that they haven't replaced it with beans. So mm-hmm. maybe they're not eating beef, but they're not eating beans either. And yes, their diet is plant-based, but it's very unbalanced. Mm-hmm. And so the trick is when you knock off the beef, you got to replace it with beans and nuts and lentils and tofu and, um, you know, other plant sources of protein so that your body gets the nutrients it needs. So yes, vegetarians and vegans can be very healthy if they're responsible. And it's a lifestyle. I mean, it's, it's a lot easier now to eat a plant-based diet than it used to be. I mean, you can go to Burger King and get an impossible Whopper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, is that our version of vegetarian diet? Um, I mean, so it, it um, there are options. And my job is to teach people how to get the protein that they need if they choose not to eat animal products. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I haven't looked into it a ton have you seen so with the impossible burgers i know i've been seeing advertisements ad nauseum for them um do you know much about them what's in them or have have any opinion on them yeah i mean they're they're both the beyond burger and the impossible burger they're you know one is made with a soy base and (laughs) another is made more with a rice and pea protein base. And they're ultra processed foods. They taste like burgers. Mm-hmm. Um, and some vegetarians like, why would I want to eat a burger? Like it just doesn't appeal to them. Mm-hmm. And others who think, oh, I should be vegetarian, but I'd miss my burgers. For them, it's it's like an easy option to eat more plant protein. But they are ultra processed. They aren't a natural food. Um, they do have saturated fat in it from coconut. Um, they're more expensive. Um, I don't know. It's not a right or a wrong mm-hmm. to any of this. It's looking at your whole diet and, and what you, what kind of food you want to put in your body. And I tend to think that more natural foods, there's a lot of thing in food that we don't know about and they mm-hmm. have a synergistic effect. Um, so when you buy an ultra processed food, are you missing out on compounds that are health protective that we don't even know about? I mean, just an, an interesting example is that if you have just the egg white as opposed to the whole egg, um, you know, the same grams of protein from egg white versus whole, whole eggs mm-hmm. is 40% less um, that the muscles have 40% less um muscle protein synthesis okay so you you, we look at the food matrix Mm -hmm. it's important to look at all the the all-natural matrix that really works to protect our health Mm -hmm. and is that matrix in ultra processed foods so i know when i'm say i'm looking i'm shopping for like protein powder which is obviously processed I know that you can look up um, the data on how bioavailable different types of protein are supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about the, the synergy between basically the egg yolk and the, the egg white. Is there anywhere like a layman can find that kind of information? Or, or is there even a resource for that at all? Well, you can Google protein quality mm-hmm. and you'll, you'll, you'll find information, um, PDCAS is sort of like a, a term that might float around and I can't remember what it stands for. <laughs> um, but yeah, just Google protein quality and you'll, you'll get some information there. Okay. I was, it's, it's one of those things, again, which is why it's nice to talk to you. Since you you've gone through and filtered all of these things already, um, but just because there is so much information, it's always a matter of what I listen to. How do I find the right thing? You know, how do I filter out the BS from the reality? Mm-hmm. You know, on my own when I don't have Nancy here to like <laughs> to clarify. Well, that's where you got my book. 
Right. <laughs> right. Which you can always go back to. Um, this that's is a... Said, there's a whole network of sports dietitians around mm-hmm. the country. There's more than 7,000 of us. Um, and, and so you um, want to meet with someone who's a registered dietitian and is certified specialist in sports dietitian, that dietetic CSSD is after the name, so RDCSSD. And um, so Google RS, R, RDSS, CSSD in your hometown or whatever and see who comes up. And that's the person that you want to work with that will help you get a sane approach to food um, and so that you can enjoy food mm-hmm. and not feel as though eating is cheating because eating is not cheating. Eating should be one of life's pleasures. And better yet, be able to enhance your performance. I mean, the impact of food on performance is huge. I mean, many people think that performance starts with training. It actually starts with eating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing I think is a common theme. Like, and you mentioned this at the very beginning that food is fuel, not a punishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this is a question I've been asking everybody this whole year or what I'm referring to as season one. Um, but it's especially pertinent for you. I like to ask people, if you only get to choose one food for recovery, so this is like a a post-workout kind of food, you only get to choose one food for recovery for the rest of your life, what do you end up choosing? Oh, I'd choose chocolate milk. (laughs) It's yummy. It's the right balance of carbs and protein. The milk is really high-quality, nutrient-dense, life-sustaining fluid. And um, the chocolate is yummy, and it's one of life's pleasures, and it's also health protective. Um, people say, oh, but there's sugar in it. But all foods, all fruits, vegetables, grains break down to sugars, and as an athlete, that's what your muscles need for fuel. Mm-hmm. So, um, again, the athletic body can tolerate sugar far differently than the unfit person. So speaking as an athletic person, that would be my choice. That's fair. I'll, I'll chalk another one up for, for chocolate milk. I actually spoke to um, Dr. Jason Karp early on, episode four, who's one of the authors of the uh, chocolate milk study. So he was the first one to notch the, <laughs> the, the chocolate milk as a recovery food. Um, Nancy, if, if people want to work with you, find you, um, get your book, where can they find you? Where can they pick up a copy of your book? Well, they can find me on my website, which is Nancy Clark RD. N-A-N-C-Y-C-L-A-R-K-R-D.com. They can follow me on Twitter or Facebook at nclarkrd. Um, and they can shoot me an email through my website. There's a place called Contact Nancy. And they send me an email and I might even answer it. Uh, and what's the best place to get your book? Um of course, it's on Amazon.com. It's on my website. It's probably in bookstores. I mean, it's been a popular book yeah. um, at your local library. So you don't even have to buy it. You can go to the library. And it's a handy resource. So you'll probably want to just have your own copy. Keep it in your kitchen. Start making notes in the margins. Attention <laughs> to this. Thanks so much for coming on today, Nancy. It was a real pleasure to talk to you. Well, this is my pleasure, Jesse. Thanks for inviting me. Take care.